0: Hello and welcome to ESMO Open Podcast uh, with Marina Perry, and today our guest is Nikki McGranahan from the University College London Cancer Institute. Uh, you're a junior group leader of the Cancer Genome Evolution Group, so welcome and thank, thank you, you for much. talking to us. Um, would you like to give me a quick introduction to you uh, and your group's aims and what projects you're currently working on?
1: Yep, sure. So, so my group is yeah, based here at UCL and the, the focus of our work is very much on trying to understand cancer evolution um, and how do tumours evolve? What are the early events that occur during tumour evolution and what are the later events that occur during tumour evolution? And we do this primarily by looking at and analysing sequencing data to to get a grip of what's occurring at the genomic level within tumours. And primarily we do this using data from multi-region sequencing. So rather than take a single sample from a tumour, we take multiple samples from each tumour and then use this data to reconstruct the tumour's phylogenetic history and then this this is what really allows us to start exploring how the tumours evolved and then ultimately what's the next step the tumour might take.
0: Fantastic, thank you very much. Um, You recently published a really nice story in Cell about uh, HLA loss of heterozygosity. Can you give us a quick summary of uh, how the project started and, and what you found?
1: Yes, yeah, of course. So so one of the things we've been interested in for a while is um, how the tumour evolves in the context of an active immune system and the immune microenvironment. So clearly one, one thing that's got a lot of interest is neoantigens, so mutations that give rise to peptides might be presented by the patient's own HLA alleles and then recognised by the CD8 T cells within, within the patient. And... So to do this, um, what what we reasoned is most most approaches at the moment to look for neoantigens, there's various computational pipelines that exist, and that the key step that they take is they look for whether the mutation gives rise to a peptide that binds the patient's HLA allele. And you can work out now using sequencing data what the patient's own HLA alleles are. So we can work out the set of HLA alleles and then we assume they're all present and then presenting these these neoantigens. And we reason well, actually, maybe that assumption isn't always valid. Are these HLA alleles actually always present in the patient's tumor? And there's actually some data, and there's a long history of research looking at HLA expression, but no one's really been able to do this using sequencing data, essentially, because these are so polymorphic these HLA alleles, that every patient will often have a very different set of HLA alleles because you get some maternal and paternal, which means the standard tools don't work. So so therefore, we said, okay, well, let's, can we actually, because we know the patient's own HLA alleles, we can work out whether, which ones are present, and then also whether they're actually present in the tumor cells. So that was the the simple idea. Let's just make sure they are present because otherwise our predictions are wrong. And so we ran it on some of our patients. We sort of developed a tool, which we called Lola, Loss of Petrocyl Human Leukocyte Antigen. And we saw, strikingly, in 40% of the patients, it seemed they'd actually lost either the maternal or the paternal alleles. So that was, that was really the start, was let's make sure that the assumptions are correct, and then it turned out they, they weren't necessarily correct. And that's what led us to then explore how frequent is it, what does it, it co occur with less mutate, with more mutations when you have the HLA loss, it seems to be quite a pervasive mechanism of immune evasion in lung cancer.
0: Really interesting. Is that a story that you're uh, following up with something else in another data set maybe? Um,
1: yes, yeah, exactly. So, so, we've, so we've only looked really in lung cancer at the moment, but then the obviously next question is what about other cancer types? How, how prevalent is it? And so now we're extending that to pretty much all the data we can get hold of. We're now trying to analyze to see whether we see HLA loss there as well and then we're also trying to extend that as so we looked at class one HLA loss Can we look at class two and and so we're really trying to To delve into this this story deeper and to, to see how how common is it? and How important is it in, in lung cancer and can it? Can we use that to predict treatment failure in any way as well?
0: so coming on to that um how do you think your work informs what uh, a clinician might be uh, doing in clinic, for example? Tumor evolution, is, is that something that you think about you know, during the course of your work? How will this impact patients?
1: Yes, I, I, think, I think that's ultimately um, We hope that what we're working on can benefit patients. And I, I think that's, that's always something that we're, we're trying to do. I, th- I think at the moment it's probably quite a few steps from, from actually having that impact. And the, the first step really is um, trying to understand how the tumour is evolving. What are the key steps in, in, in that that occur during tumor development. And I think if we understand that, we'll we'll be better placed to design better therapies. And and also even for the therapies that exist that exist, do we can we Know a priori which ones are going to work on which patients and which won't. I think all of this analysis hopefully will 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 help in both both those those settings.
0: So, in your conversations with your clinical collaborators, what sort of treatment do you imagine would come out of the work that you do? Things like treatment holidays or things like. Potentially targeting the driver mutation at a particular time and then switching treatments. Is that the sort of thing that you think of?
1: Yes. Yeah, that's that's definitely something that we're we're, we're very keen to explore further. I mean, ultimately, I think the the work that we've done on heterogeneity to try to explore which alterations present every cancer cell and which are only present in a subset of the cancer cells. That obviously leads to the hypothesis that if you're targeting something that's present in a subset of the cancer cells, then they may be effective, but probably only for the subset of the cancer cells. And if you are not, if you're only destroying some of the tumor, then you might be selecting for other aspects and other, other phenotypes, which mean that you're not really as effective as you, as you could be in in terms of the treatment. And that's something we've been looking at in in terms of immune checkpoint blockade. And is that, can we use the information on clonality, whether it's heterogeneous or homogeneous to predict whether the patient's going to respond or not
0: um, thank you some of our listeners might be early career uh, medical oncologists so what sort of advice do you have for them coming from a very bioinformatic background uh, do you think that this uh, understanding tumor heterogeneity and the kind of work that you do is important to them or or not
1: well, I'd like to think it, it is important and I, I, I think it's it's something that will become more and more important as 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 Therapies become more personalized and, and the idea of precision medicine, I guess, where every patient gets a treatment tailored to their own specific cancer type um, and cancer, the, the tumor that they actually harbor. I, I, th- I think understanding heterogeneity and understanding tumor evolution will, will be vital. You know, I, I can envisage a day where there's, there's very much a sort of evolutionary guided therapeutics where we can potentially predict to some extent the way that the tumor is evolving and, and therefore harness that to, to give a specific treatment.
0: Um, and do you think that our current healthcare systems uh, are obviously going to have to evolve to meet the sort of data that we're uh, that you and, and your group are, are generating and, and things like that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I mean, I guess we're, we're already taking those steps with Things like Genomics England, where there's there's a lot of sequencing taking place, and the facilities are now in place to do that sequencing. I think I think that's one of the, the key steps is to have to have the protocol and the access to the data already there, because unfortunately, it's it's not terribly straightforward necessarily to just go from tumor sample to have very good sequencing data. And clearly, I think I think there's more work on in in, in pretty much every every level. So so I think at the moment, the bioinformatics algorithms to determine mutations are not necessarily that straightforward. And if you use one tool, you might get slightly different results from using another tool, which is quite a a worrying um, thing, really. But I think think we're still at fairly early stages with, with all of these aspects. I think it won't be that long until we get better at everything which which is which is hopefully a positive <laughs> positive way of looking at it
0: that's very promising um in the field of, of cancer evolution or evolution more generally um are there any particular topics that you're interested in or that you you're excited by that you think might be applicable to to the sort of work that you're doing
1: yeah i i, th- I think there's there's quite a lot we can really learn from, from what's already taken place in in the context of species evolution and evolutionary genetics one, one thing we're very interested in and has, has become uh, sort of a, a topic of debate in, in cancer evolution is the extent to which we see positive selection or neutral evolution later on during tumor evolution so if, if we see positive selection then that it implies there's certain events that um, are, are harboring that the tumor harbors which confer a fitness advantage to those cells. Whereas if we see the tumor evolving more neutrally, then it's just the events occurred early that were selected for, and then later on, it's, it's essentially just accumulating mutations at random, and there's, there's no fitness advantages. And they, they might also predict the extent to which we see heterogeneity in these tumors. So, So I think understanding these will help, again, Give us an idea of whether we can predict tumor evolution or not. Because if it's neutral, then it might be harder to predict the next next step. And also the extent to which treatment itself imposes a selection barrier. And, and I, th- I think that's something that we're only starting to explore. Exactly the impact that that treatment has. Just as in evolution in general, we can start to explore how different environments influence um, the evolution of different species and what leads to extinction and what doesn't. And In in some ways, you know, what we're hoping for with our treatment is a mass extinction. And therefore, maybe we can also learn from mass extinctions in general, what survives mass extinctions. Is that the same in tumours as well? And and, and can we start to learn from processes that have already happened in nature?
0: Excellent. Um, And finally, uh, to wrap up, if you were able to design an experiment that would help with the kind of work that you're doing um no time limits no money limits no no limits at all uh, what would that study look like
1: that's that's a, it's a tricky question uh, I, I i'd say in general one thing we're we're lacking is that we have single time points and so we have, we have data which which makes sense from when the for instance patients where there's surgery with curative intent then we remove the tumor and we can sequence that and that allows us to look back in time to work out what events occurred but we don't have any fossil record we've only got the cells that that survived um, and if if we can have the more time points we have the better we will be placed to be able to see how the tumor is dynamically changing over time how how much a certain events accumulating and how much do we see losses of copy numbers gains etc to really be able to get to the stage where we can say okay this is the next step the tumor is going to take it's predictable or we've got no idea and I think we don't yet know the answer to that question
0: and is that the direction that the field is moving in you feel temporal time points
1: yes I, I think I think we will be getting more and more data where we have for instance the primary tumor and relapse and we can also gain a lot, I think, from PDX models and where it's slightly easier to have multiple time points because clearly it's all subject to data availability.
0: Excellent. Uh, thank you very much, Nikki. Uh, you can find more podcasts on the ESMO Open homepage and please follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates.